0: Please be advised that this story touches on issues relating to mental health and suicide.
1: Which some listeners may find upsetting.
0: Self-injury, the act of intentionally cutting, burning, or hitting oneself, is now an increasingly common experience among teens and young adults. But often, it's not what it seems.
2: A lot of the time why people hurt themselves is so they can show the, physical, the physicality of it because no one will see the pain that you feel inside. So that was the only way of like painting yourself as to like how you actually feel.
0: Today, we're going to explore the paradox of teens who hurt themselves in order to feel better.
1: Uh, Would you mind just saying, you know, your name and your pronouns?
2: Hello, my name is Friley Rose. And my pronouns are she, her, hers. So, I'm 17, and I am a newly graduated senior.
0: Riley, who served as president of her school's Gay-Straight Alliance, says she often felt like an outsider.
2: The school was not a safe space for me, and even this year, there were times and periods where I just didn't feel safe coming to school because I knew that the second I walk in, it's clicky, and I'm not accepted there. And no matter how hard I try, if I want to be accepted, I have to be something that I'm not. Coming to terms with that was definitely very hard. And it's still hard. I've struggled with uh, depression and anxiety, and still do. And I think that there were a lot of other things that tied into why I struggle with those things. But a lot of it was school, and a lot of it definitely started around 5th grade, but definitely 6th and so on and that's when it really started to get bad.
0: Did you ever get to the point where you thought about hurting yourself?
2: Definitely and there was a period where I did um, during my freshman year, I mean I don't, I don't want to get too like graphic or anything, um, I did have a period where I was cutting myself. For me personally, talking about how you're feeling and how you're struggling wasn't getting the point across. And I felt like the only way that it would get points across is if they could see actions.
0: To help us understand how parents can begin to address this confusing and often frightening behavior, we spoke with psychologist Janice Whitlock, one of the pioneers in the study of self-injury.
3: Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Janice Whitlock and I am the director of the Cornell Research Program on Self-Injury and Recovery.
0: What should parents know about self-injury?
3: Non-suicidal self-injury is self-inflicted damage of the body tissue in order to feel better. So it's kind of paradoxical. It feels like, you know, how could hurting yourself help you feel better, but for a variety of reasons it does.
0: So, just to be clear, is self-injury the same thing as suicidal behavior?
3: No, not at all. Um, it's actually paradoxically very different. But no, that's the thing that makes it kind of confusing for everybody. Sometimes even people who use it, it's not. It's not meant to end life at all. It's the opposite. It's intended to feel better.
0: Yeah, you had described it when we talked last time as a coping mechanism. For
3: mm-hmm. The people it works for, it really can bring somebody from a state of agitation uh, or upsetness into a state of calm really pretty quickly. The question is why are they? Why is my child doing this? I would say the, the child is trying to feel better. They're either trying to feel less agitated and calm if they're in a state of agitation, or they're trying to feel something in the presence of nothing. But I, what I want parents to understand is what your child's trying to go for is something that you you can honor and understand. It's just you know not the best path to that.
2: I definitely think that when I was cutting that I did want people to see but it was only very certain people who I knew that I wanted them to notice. Like wearing like a short sleeve where it's like if they look it's there. Um, But then also if they were to ask about it I had an excuse ready. My response was because it was when I was doing um, the fall play at the time at the school that there was this like piece of like wood from a set that um, was just like sharp and I just scraped my arm against it, which there was. So it's like if I needed to I could just go and show it to them if they really wanted to see it. And it was just that like I just walked past it really quickly and it scraped my arm.
0: So you had an excuse, but do you think you really wanted somebody to ask? To, to see the signs.
2: I really, I really do think I did. But at the same time, opening up that conversation is just like letting open the floodgates and like everything would come out. And that's just like something that I was not ready for. I knew that I just, I wanted help, but I also didn't know what help meant.
0: Sydney, you went through something similar as well, didn't you? Yeah. What was it like for you?
1: Honestly, what you're describing is pretty much exactly the same. You want someone to notice so badly, but if someone were to ask, you would deny it. But like, you're waiting for someone to open up the conversation because you don't really know how to do it yourself. It's like, it's a cry for somebody to show that they care
2: about you. Yeah, you want them to notice so badly. And if they did notice, that would cause a whole different issue. But then if they don't notice, then that's just like, more reason to do it because it's like it's it just accentuates the feeling that you're alone yeah
0: janice how common is self-injury
3: self-injury is fairly common at this point we're looking at probably 17 to 25 percent of adolescent to a young adult population has probably self-injured ever when i started the research there were definitely cases of kids 10, sometimes a little younger. Um, but now we're starting to see it in elementary school. I mean, it's just getting lower and lower on the age continuum.
1: Do, do we have any sort of explanation for why it's affecting younger and younger kids? It's like
3: eight, nine, 10 year old, that's pretty disturbing. Isn't it? I know, even younger in some cases. There's just more ambient stress in the world. So at this point, it's like healthy, normal people reflecting a really unhealthy environment.
0: What do we know about why people begin self-injuring?
3: Sydney, you want to start? Because I'll bet you have some ideas. For me, it was curiosity. But it
1: was sort of mass curiosity, like that was sort of my excuse of like, oh, I wonder what will happen. But it was sort of like everything was very numb and like, I don't know, it was oddly satisfying. I don't know, you could feel something physically, and, but also emotionally, like, vaguely disturbing, vaguely satisfied, vaguely like, I wonder if someone will see this and call attention to it. Here I am, this privileged little white kid, um, living in a nice town without anything to actually complain about. Why am I upset? For some reason, I feel quite crappy. Um, and, but like, here's something that can actually show like, oh, like it was like physical proof that there was actually something wrong when I felt like I didn't deserve to feel poorly or like I didn't deserve to feel bad. I don't know.
3: Wow. You covered a lot of ground right there. (laughs) (laughs) I think, Michael, we have all the things that, you know, any expert would probably say about why we hear people self-injure. I think the one of the things you said that I think is really fascinating is this: the ability to physically represent what feels ephemeral and sort of just emotion. You can do something; it's emblematic. It's like there. It's real. Um, and then there's also the experience of like, all right, now I've taken all this ephemeral, amorphous feeling, I put it somewhere as a wound, and you get the experience of watching it, experiencing it heal, which I think is also fairly powerful for a lot of people.
1: Seeing it heal for me was sort of weird, cause it was like if I didn't cut that deeply, um, and by now it's pretty much mostly faded, so it didn't leave like lasting. But like when I saw it starting to fade, I would feel like I had to make more, um, cause I felt like I almost didn't want it to go away.
3: Interesting. Can you say more about
1: that? I guess it was like the physical testimony that something was wrong, and then it was also just like proof that yeah, it was it was just proof of something that I thought was bigger than me that was a miss.
0: I think I handled it entirely wrong.
2: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney, like, yep.
0: <laughs> My wife and I, we actually had a conversation about it. And we said, well, we don't want to embarrass them. We don't want to draw attention to it. Kids do crazy things. So let's just ignore it and hope it gets better.
1: I don't know. Ignoring it wasn't the right thing to do.
3: What would you have wanted your parents to do? <laughs>
1: Uh, At least to notice, to visibly notice and bring it up like just because I didn't want to tell and I didn't want people to know but I did at the same time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I would have liked like some sort of repetition saying like we're here and if you need to talk about it but then like at least that being said like a couple of times um, and then like asking about it and showing concern and trying to get help but like at the same time I didn't want that.
3: You know, when we did interviews with people who, with self-injury experience, and we asked them what they wanted their parents to know, that was the dominant request. They just wanted their parents to ask why.
0: So Riley, did somebody notice? Was it the cutting that ultimately got you the help that you needed?
2: Actually, no. I think a lot of the time, parents just, they don't know what to do.
0: As a parent, I mean, speaking personally, it's terrifying that your child, somebody that you love, are hurting themselves in this way. And I guess what we've been learning is that you have to have the courage to ask these difficult questions.
2: I think that a lot of the time, adults have a hard time understanding that children can feel very dark feelings and have very dark, dark thoughts. They are completely capable of feeling those things, Um, and if those thoughts are just, again, left to fester because they don't think of that as a possibility, it it gets much worse. So I think that also opening the narrative up to allowing children to feel these things and helping them get away from feeling those things, I mean, that would just do wonders.
0: Janice, just to be clear, if your kid starts to do it, should you intervene?
3: My advice to parents is don't start off saying you just don't want them to do the behavior. Start off trying to understand what's happening and why, what function it's serving, because it's a doing something. The behavior itself, no, I mean, it's not the healthiest behavior by any stretch. It can leave lots of scarring. A lot of people say that they injure themselves far more deeply or severely than they intended to. Then a lot of people who end up with that experience then feel really ashamed and they don't go get medical assistance.
0: Would you recommend medication for somebody who's struggling with self-injury?
3: We haven't found any pharmacological approach to self-injury specifically that stops the self-injury. How about therapy? Therapy really often helps seems like the best way to do it is through the areas that help us to know ourselves better, that help us go, okay, wait a minute, I'm starting to feel that cascade. I'm starting to head down. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna go for a walk. I'm gonna go call a friend. I'm gonna do something different because I know where this is gonna lead. Self-knowledge and knowing and then ability to kind of intervene seems to be one of the the ways that people end up stopping eventually um, when that becomes their goal. If it's not their goal, forget it. It's not going to stop it.
0: Riley, if nobody noticed, how did how did you get through that?
2: Personally, I turned to other methods of negative coping mechanisms. I think for a while I did have a binge eating disorder, um, just a really horrible relationship with food, um, just because cutting wasn't working, and I think that. For a period of time, there was always times where I would come back to cutting, and just, I wasn't getting the recognition that I deeply wanted. So it was it was more of just trying to suppress the feelings that I didn't know how to handle.
0: Did you ever get to the point where you had suicidal thoughts, if I can ask that directly?
2: Yes, many times. And even recently, this year, I had a bit of a period where things were probably the worst that they ever have been, and I almost did. But I didn't, hence why I'm here, and <laughs> um, I'm glad I didn't.
0: Did you get some help?
2: Yes. I mean, therapy's not for everyone, but it definitely is for me. Um, and group therapy this year was really great for me just having that support to be like these people understand like i'm not the only person for some people that's a little discomforting but for me i think it's very comforting to know that like you're not alone yeah we all have our own journey and we all have our own struggles to me it's very comforting to think that my thoughts and my struggles are not unique other people go through them. I'm not the only one, and I never will be.
0: (laughs) Janice, is there anything else you'd really like parents to know?
3: Do you have support? Do you, who do you talk to? Do you have a therapist? Especially if this is a a sort of entrenched case, a case where self-injury is the common go-to for their child, it's not gonna end quickly, usually, and it's gonna pull stuff up for the parent. It activates this visceral worry about your child ending their life. It's just this fear comes up, and then for a lot of parents, anger comes up. And then suddenly you're saying things or doing things or just demonstrating things. Later, you go, gosh, that's really not what I wanted to communicate. The overarching message you want to give as a, as a parent is I love you. I'm not leaving you alone in this. I don't necessarily know how to fix it or how to fix your life, but I'm going to be here and we're just going to keep working at it. And please share, you know, and their child may not share right away, but eventually often they will. Oftentimes, just a parent going to a young person and saying, I love you. I really want to support you. I don't want you to suffer. How can we work together to help you get what you need? and they may not know but like that starts the conversation and that that impulse is really powerful that's a healing that's a healing agent right there just that approach and then you know don't give up keep trying to connect
0: that was Janice Whitlock director of the Cornell research program on self-injury and recovery and special thanks to Riley Rose for sharing her story with us and this is Conversations with Sydney.
1: Hello,
2: that's me.
0: (laughs) This program was produced in association with WBGO Studios and with support from the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting.
1: And the Rosalind Carter Fellowship for Mental Health Journalism and Media. If you are having thoughts of suicide, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988.